This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, G, U, corner, half back, flat, on two. Ready, right. Now here's your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42. Blue 42. Good morning, Brock. How are you now? Good morning, Polly. Good morning, Bump. I'm doing well. I'm down in your old neck of the woods. One of your stops, at least, Mr. Gallant, uh, down in Texas. Yeah. Big 12 media days. I know you're in Houston. I'm in Dallas, uh, but down here for for some Fox work with college football and the old Big 12 media days. And uh, yeah, geez, I was getting on the plane yesterday. There was certainly some enormous news coming out of the Pacific Northwest that I think we'll probably talk about, huh? Yes, we will. What's your reaction to the news yesterday of Richard Sherman's arrest? Pretty shocked. Yeah, pretty, pretty shocked and stunned. Uh, with, with Richard, and that was probably the overwhelming response down here with a bunch of folks that, that knew him. I was at dinner last night with Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big uh, Big 12 now, who was the AD at Stanford during those years that Richard was there, hired Jim Harbaugh, and he and probably a half dozen other people, you know, all said the same thing, that this is just, this is not a character. Like, would, you know, would not have, would not have associated his name with an incident like this, with challenges like this. Um, so I think that I, I share that opinion. I, I would not have thought it would be Richard that would be in this uh, unfortunate spot that he finds himself in with, I think, some pretty severe consequences possibly looming. Brock, does this change the way you view Richard Sherman at all, or do you kind of see this as an isolated incident? Bump, you know this now that you're kind of old enough. Do you have any gray? You have a little gray in your goatee, don't you? Do you have a little gray? Gray all in this beard, Brock. Yeah, yeah, you got a little gray now, a little salt and pepper. So you're kind of, kind of old enough to realize that, uh, and, and you've got a lot of peers that are that are out of the NFL now and in that transitionary stage. And, and I've watched it with a number of my my friends and former teammates that train to transition. And I think Richards in a little bit of that state, uh, even though I think he still wants to play, uh, the market has not been kind to him. And, and it is a, you know, the, the numbers tell you and uh, the, the numbers of challenges that guys have had, you know, just in their life identity. And I don't want to speculate. I'm not going to run wild with this thing, but you know, just where you find yourself, man, for all my life, I've been doing this. I've been this successful. I've been this wanted. I've been this, you know, um, rewarded for my, my talents and, and my gifts and, and how hard I have worked. And now, you know, the door is not opening, um, you know, and, and I may be looking at the end of everything that I've known as a professional. And we have seen so many, and I have seen personally, so many struggle with that. What am I going to do now with the rest of my life? And, and how do I how do I fill that void? And sometimes it's in very, very unhealthy behaviors, unfortunately. And um, so while shocked and surprised, I probably lean into that as much as anything. He's at, a, at an age and stage of his life where, man, there are many, many former pros that struggle. He's one, though, that you would think would be able to navigate into that next phase because, yeah, maybe you can't play the game anymore. And I do want you guys to talk about this a little bit later, just one-on-one with your experiences with it. But this is a guy who you feel like, at the very least, might have a chance to actually play this season. Maybe the calls aren't coming his way in the manner that he would like, but also that he's got all sorts of different avenues that he could potentially go to. I suppose it just goes to show you that no matter how confident or collected or or whatever someone might seem 
on this surface level, you never really know what's going on inside. Yeah, I think that's very fair. You, you never really know. You never fully know relationally, um, you know, and some of the challenges that also come in this NFL world and uh, with, you know, with in-laws and relationships and families. And, man, I, Paul, I could tell you stories for days of some of the challenges that the players have had with parents and aunts and uncles and, and in-laws and everybody that, you know, wants peace and, and at times in their lives or uh, there could be very unhealthy relationships. Um, you know, because the barriers that are put up, bubbles that are put up, uh, money that comes into play. So, yeah, I mean, I, we're, we're today, we're 24 hours after the news where there's going to be an immense amount of speculation where, you know, I think many many have to have an opinion. You certainly do when you're on the radio and, and there's a guest and everything else. It's just, I find myself, man, um, I, I just find myself trying to... <laughs> trying to figure out how, how this happens to Richard because of what you just said. He's incredibly gifted. He's bright. He's going to have many doors that open. He's going to be able to do any media that he would want to do. He's high up in the NFL Players Association. Many of many of those things, but Paul, I think you're right. When you don't know what's going on on the inside, when you don't know, you know where there is hurt, when you don't know where there's unhealthiness in his personal life with, with decisions he's making or with his family members, you see it manifest itself at times, sadly, in a horrific manner like this. Question two. All right, Brock, you are a former quarterback, once a leader, always a leader. And if one of your former teammates were going through what Sherman's going through right now, what's your approach? Do you reach out? Do you give it time? How do you handle this? Yeah, you 100% reach out. Uh, you 100% reach out, especially – after listening to those 911 calls and you just hear the amount of pain in that home and with his wife and you have, yeah, I think you absolutely do, uh, do reach out to, to family members, to friends, you know, to, to people that he has close relationship with and, and you want to help, man. He is, uh, he is in a place of pain and hurt and, you know, to put himself in that kind of position and those hours of, you know, Coach Dungey would always talk about that. He'd always have a, a few rules, especially, you know, when we would end and, and Richard wasn't on a team, but I guarantee you, you know, some of these news headlines over the last few weeks, Frank Clark, others that, you know, there's coaches and Tony Dungy would always do this at the end of our mini camps, our final, you know, mandatory camp. You know, he kind of remind everybody, hey man, here's, here's the deal. Uh, you know, the, the headlines the next month are largely going to be those with drugs and alcohol, um, those in the early hours of you know, those that um, have guns and, you know, those things have not changed in 20 some years uh, as far as, you know, this month and a half period of time in the off season. Um, so, yeah, again, kind of just referencing what I've heard and listened to on those 911 calls, you know, when you have, uh, unfortunately, alcohol and, and you have early hours of and, and you're driving and you're, you're in that kind of position you're uh, yeah, you're in a position of pain and hurt, Bump. and as a leader and as a friend, I'm sure those around him have absolutely reached out to see what they can do to help. They might already know, too, just based off of yes. all the information available to us. The first 911 call where his wife, Ashley Moss, said that he sent text messages to people saying he's going to hang himself. I would imagine yeah. that there has to be at least a couple of guys who maybe were teammates with him back in the day, whether at Stanford, with the Seahawks, maybe with the San Francisco 49ers. And that's just such a difficult place to be put into. And it's one of the things that 
you know, I think that sometimes those who are going through these hard things don't really realize is that you are putting the people around you in a pretty terrifying yep. spot as well. And it's, I think, sometimes difficult to actually see that. But I, I can only imagine what those guys must be going through as they really probably are just waiting to hear from Richard Sherman before uh, after he gets out of um, jail, which I imagine will take place this afternoon when he finally is in front of a judge. You know, Paul, the, the, the face, the name, the person that came to my mind, immediately as I was surprised with this and, and somewhat shocked, but but almost immediately, the, the person that came to my mind was Pete Carroll. And, and I say that because sitting down with Pete on a number of different occasions where Richard was a rule one breaker, right? It would protect the team, and that, that, that did not happen. And sitting on those Mondays with Pete, Bump, as you, you two have done, and uh, sitting there and trying to reconcile that, right? And he just threw his coordinator under the bus, right? He just blew up on teammates. He's just pointing things like he's just, you know, he's, Pete, you don't have many rules, but this guy's a rule one breaker and most important in your culture. And I remember talking to Pete so many times on the record, off the record about that. And he just had such affinity and love for Richard. But, like, he woke up every day the same way that Pete does. Like, eyes open, and I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I'm going to win at all costs. I'm going to compete. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to tell anybody that my life is better than yours. <laughs> Skip Bayless way back when. And, and I'm going to fight and claw and tear. And I know that Pete loves Richard. And I know that this news is tearing him up and hurting him, speaking to friends and people around him. I can imagine that this is just hurting him as much as anybody else out there. Question number three. You guys have unique experience on this front that I clearly don't. I mean, you guys both played this game for a living, and like for every single NFL player, eventually that career comes to an end. So I guess I'm foisting a conversation upon the two of you, but I'm, I, I want to hear what you guys both went through as your careers wrapped up and how you coped with the end of it. And um, yeah, so you guys take it away. I'm going to imagine, Bump, it was a little easier for you and I because we did not have generational kind of wealth and money as Cam and Earl and now Richard and many of these players that we're seeing and, you know, that, that we love to follow the last decade as their careers have come to an end and, and they're figuring out that next step. And when you've had that and those kind of accolades and that kind of, and those kind of resources, people would say, oh my gosh, you're just set up for life. Right, Bump, yeah. just go play golf and, and just mm-hmm. relax and you know, you don't have to do anything the rest of your life. But these guys are competitors. Right? They have spent their life climbing and competing. And then when there isn't that, you know, eventually golf runs out. Eventually, you know, those resources do start to dwindle and you try to figure out, okay, what, what am I gonna do now with the rest of my life? And uh, just, you know, speaking as you kind of voice the conversation between us, uh, Paul. But I'm going to guess you were a little bit like me, like you knew, like, okay, you know, this door is closing. Now I got to go attack the next thing with the same vigor and intensity and competitiveness I did as a player because I don't have resources to set me up for the rest of my life. Yeah, I got there eventually, Brock. <laughs> I think like yeah. the first first year and a half, man, I, I couldn't even watch football. I'm bitter. I'm seeing guys playing. I'm like, I'm just as good as him. And I think, yep. and I think you you might have experienced this too. 
uh, Brock is, you know, we went to school out here. So we're running into people that are, how come you're not still playing, man? Like, what happened? And you get all these questions. You're, I'm like, look, man, NFL is not for long. There's not too many people who have the careers that, you know, you see on TV. And, uh, yeah, it was rough for a minute. I didn't know what to do. I had, like, three or four jobs. I'm like, where am I going to go? But then eventually uh, you find what you're good at and what you're passionate about. Yep. For me, it was it was training kids and coaching. And uh, that kind of brought me back to the game. Um, so yeah, first year and a half, Brock, I couldn't watch, couldn't watch football. I mean, fantasy football yeah. got me back into watching football. <laughs> <laughs> and I, th- and I think a big swallow of pride. It's usually the thing that I share with guys that, you know, that I know that I'm done and they're trying to figure out what they're doing, especially those former players that want to get into media. And I, and I maybe even told bump this, you know, way back when, just say yes, just yep. say yes, you know, and, and, and say yes as much as you can. And don't worry about, like, hey, man, my time, my brands, you need to pay me. I was just chatting with an executive down here at Big 12 Media Days yesterday, and, and he was chatting about a, you know, a player that's, that's wanting to, to do this. His agent called and said, well, I don't think you can afford him. And he's like, then you're right, <laughs> because if it is all about that, and, you know, he didn't want to get better and get in the door, he has no experience, and he already thinks he's just, you know, in NFL world, sorry, that's not the way it's going to be. My first TV show I remember doing, uh, sitting down with the director in the building, and I was like, okay, all right, do the Seahawks post game on television, everything, you know, what, what are we looking at? And he's like, well, you know, I can pay you, got to get here, you know, be here for the game, watch the game with the crew, the show afterwards, so it's a pretty full day. And he's like, I, I can pay you about $110 a day. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> what? Like, I, I got to go buy some new suits. <laughs> I'll be leaving, you know, like the, the, the babysitter. I think the babysitter would make more than I would for that day of work for those eight or ten hours or whatever. So, but you're just like, all right, yeah, but here's an opportunity, and I'm going to get in the door, and I'm going to try to do the best I can. But man, that was a that was a pride swallowing day right there, and those come when when you finish your profession. Real, real talk, best thing Brock has ever told me: take every opportunity. And I, I have ran with that. Every opportunity I get, <laughs> I'm taking this. So I appreciate uh, the advice, <laughs> big homie Brock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The more you can do, right? That's an NFL yeah. adage, too. It's not just not for long, but the more you can do. Yep. Yeah, when you get out, the more you can try to figure out, like you said, but what am I good at, man? What in the same way when I wake up and open my eyes, am I like, yes? I want to go and attack this, and I want to go do this because, man, it's my calling, it's my gifting, it's what I enjoy doing, and it's a hard road to get to. And there's a there's a lot of guys that can't get out of that bed. There's a lot of guys that don't want to swallow their pride and start over. And uh, and those typically are the ones, man, that face some of the darkest days in that challenge. Really interesting sitting back and listening to you guys. Just share that with us. So appreciate it, both of you guys. Seriously, thank you. It's very, I think, something that a lot of people do need to hear about. It's when this comes to an end, I can only imagine just how difficult that is to eventually say, hey, look, I, I have to move on. I have to move on to the next thing. Brock Hewitt, everybody, he joins most, us. Oh, go ahead, Brock. Oh, sorry, Paul. And most people would think, my goodness gracious, you've got all these millions of dollars. Like, I don't want to hear, and I'm sure there's people listening to Bump and I, like, yeah, I'm not going to have any pity. I'm not going to feel bad. You've got more money to pay for counseling, to pay for help, than anybody else has. And you made all these millions of dollars playing a game. But, you know, I would just 
kind of remind folks, and we've seen the story enough, man, money does not fill that hole and that void. And if there's mental struggles and mental illness and there's hurt and pain, in some ways that money can just infuse some of that even more because you're sitting there like, why why am I hurting? Why do I feel this way? I'm supposed to have reached the pinnacle and done all of this because the world, man, and that money doesn't fill that void. Brock Hewitt, everybody, the one and only. Brock, have a great weekend, man. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Monday. See you, Bob. See you, Brock. That is Brock here at Blue 42 every single morning at 8 o'clock right here. Danny and Gallant, 710 ESPN Seattle.